Was anybody else confronted by looking at their spouse or partner when Dan told you to look at the person next to you and asked, you better get on well with them now because you're going to spend eternity with them? (laughs) I suddenly found myself thinking, remembering my wedding day and the promises I made and thinking, actually, okay, that's that's all right. I'm all right with that. (laughs) Um, So... Jen's happy with that? <laughs> now, what, what amazing things to look forward to, even in, in our worship as we bring them to life. And um, We've been uh, in a series looking at the parables of Jesus, um, and today we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 10, um, at the parable of the Good Samaritan. So if you've got your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 10? Verses 25 to 37, it's going to come up on the screen as well, so we can read it together and you can follow along. So, Luke 10, 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, Jesus, said back to him, you've answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So, likewise, a Levite, another priest, uh, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went down to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, his donkey, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So we're in a series, as I say, on the parables of Jesus. And so far we've, we've looked at um, the parable of the prodigal son, the parable of um, the wise and foolish builders, and last week Phil shared with us on the parable of the hidden treasure and um, the pearl of great value. And we've, we've seen, as we've come through this series, that the parables aren't just stories with morals attached. Sometimes they are stories, sometimes they're pictures or images or illustrations But they're not just fables that you might get told at school or by your parents, like, um, for instance, the uh, the boy who cried wolf. It's not just a story with a a moral attached. Now, these these contain 
great truth that meets us where we are. In fact, actually, um, as we've seen, as we've come through, they demand a response. As Phil was unpacking to us what it means to come across the treasure that is the kingdom of God, you realize, no, this is going to take something of me. I need to do something in response to this. And Dan, as he kicked off our series, as we looked at um, Jesus talking about the wise and foolish builders, you know, the one who hears my teaching and acts on it, he's like a wise builder who builds his house well on good foundation. And the one who hears it, so you're all hearing it, and does nothing in response, he is a foolish builder. He builds his house on the sand, and when the storms come, one house is going to survive, the other one is not going to do well. And so the parables come with teaching that demands a response. But actually, there's something about the, the, the way it comes, this teaching, in the form of a story, in the form of a picture, that challenges us. Jesus says, actually, just literally before this, this lawyer, this um, expert in the, the, the word of God comes to him and asks this question, he's saying, Father, I thank you. This is Jesus' prayer. I thank you that you have hidden these things, these truths from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. There's something about parables that, that, that express how God works in his mysteries. You know, the, the, the incredible truths of the gospel are too deep for the greatest minds to understand by their wisdom. It confounds the wise. Paul says, you know, he's chosen the foolish things to confound the wise, to confuse them, to throw them off entirely. So that nobody, by their wisdom or by their cleverness, goes, ah, I get it. I've figured it out. I've understood God for all that he is and all that he's saying. But these parables, they get taught to our children. And the children understand them. So in comes the parable. And it cannot be discerned by great minds, but children can receive it. And so, as Jesus is praying this, thank you, God, that you reveal yourself to children. A lawyer comes to him, an expert in the law, and asks him this question. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we know, so, so the lawyer here, he's an, he's an expert in the law, an expert in the Old Testament, he would have devoted his life to studying it, to knowing it. And he comes asking this question, and we know it's not a sincere question. He's not after an answer. He's just after testing Jesus. It's here to be seen. You know, he, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. He's not particularly bothered about what Jesus is going to say back to him. He doesn't want an answer. He just wants to show that he's the clever one in the room. So Jesus, how... How do you inherit eternal life? So Jesus puts the question back to him. He says, well, you've read this. You know this. What what do you say? What do you make it to be? He says, well, and he holds up two two commandments from the Old Testament. He says, you must love your Lord God with everything you are, 
with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. So what do I need to do to inherit eternal life that we look forward to, that came up in our worship? What do we need to do to be in that crowd? You need to love God with everything. You need to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says to him, yeah, good answer. You have answered correctly. And, we'll, and, and Jesus agrees with him. He says, you know, yes, if you're going to enter into the promises, you need to love God with everything you are and love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, Jesus, when a similar question comes to him in Matthew 22, he, he responds, you know, he says, well, what are the greatest commandments? And he says, well, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. This is, this is Jesus' gospel. This is what you must do to be saved. And, those two, and as, as we go forward, we'll see that those two commandments, love God, love your neighbor, they are inseparable. You can't do one without the other. Not truly. We'll go forward and we'll see that. But, um, but then the man, having kind of, Jesus turns his own question back to him. He, he says, he's kind of, he's, being made to look a bit silly in front of everybody. He's come with the intention of looking very, very clever. <laughs> Question comes back to him, like, surely you know you've read this. He gives an answer, but now he looks a bit silly in front of everyone. So he says, he says desiring to justify himself, so, so that he doesn't look silly in front of everybody, he asks another question. So who is my neighbor? So Jesus, okay, I've answered to your question. What does the law say? I must, okay, I need to love God, I need to love my neighbor. Right, good. But it's actually not as simple as you make it out, Jesus. Who, who's my neighbor, for one? Like, I've, I've done the love God thing, he thinks. But who's my neighbor? It's more nuanced than you've made it out to be, Jesus. Um, but Jesus doesn't like the question, <laughs> who's my neighbor? You see, as we look through the story, I wonder if we could have it back up. Um, Jesus actually doesn't answer that question, who's my neighbor? The, the question comes, who qualifies for my love? Okay, I'm meant to love my neighbor as myself, but who is included in that neighbor? Who, who makes it into that bracket? And Jesus doesn't want to answer that question. And so by the time the question comes back to him, you know, as he's, after he's told the parable, the story, he asks this guy, and which one proved to be a neighbor? He takes the focus off the man in need and onto the people who respond to him. Who's, who's going to be my neighbor turns into, am I, am I a loving neighbor? Jesus doesn't like the question. So he answers it in a way that takes, that answers the question he should be asking, which is, how do I love? What do I need to do to love in the way that God calls me to love, in the way that he says, love your neighbor as, my, as yourself? So he tells this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And he introduces these two characters first. A priest comes by. Now, a priest, religious man, would have known, you know, been able to give the same answer that this lawyer's given. You know, what do I need to do to be, 
uh, saved? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He would have been able to answer that same question. Yeah, you need to love God and you need to love your neighbor. But this man, who knows the answer to this question, sees the man in need and walks on by. The other side of the road. And again, a Levite comes, sees a man in need, knows the law, knows how to answer that question, what must I do? I must love God and love my neighbor, and he walks on by. Then a Samaritan. Now, we've heard this story a lot, some of us, and we lose the fact that the Samaritans are not loved people in Jesus' day. We, we think of you know, the Samaritans, the charity, you know, and the work that they do. and they're, you know, they're good people doing a good work. But the Samaritans to the Jews listening to Jesus here are the most hated people. You know, they're, they're the neighbors who betrayed them traitors. In fact, when they try to insult Jesus as another point in his ministry, they say the worst thing that they can think of to call Jesus is, you're a Samaritan possessed by the devil. So Samaritans, when the Samaritans introduced, people aren't expecting him to come out well. They're thinking, oh, he's probably going to beat him up. He's half dead. He's probably going to take what he can left of him. Probably going to finish him off. That's what a Samaritan would do. Jesus says, no. The Samaritan saw him, a man who was by nature his enemy, who probably, having seen him in the same position, would have walked past. If their roles were reversed, the man would have left him. Jesus says, and this is the key verse, verse 33, the Samaritan came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So the focus is not on the man in his need. Does this man, Jesus doesn't go into, now does this man qualify as a neighbor? Is he, is he good enough to, to receive my love? You know, the, the Victorians, they had this idea of the undeserving poor. Is that me? Okay. Um, they had this, this idea of the undeserving poor. And the idea was, you know, we'll, we'll help the poor who, who are deserving of our help, you know, who, who, are, who are, will make good decisions when we feed them, who won't go back into, um, you know, whatever it might be that took them into poverty in the first place. But we'll, um, but we'll leave the, the, those poor who aren't worthy of our help. And there's no question of that here in Jesus' mind. He doesn't even mention the guy beyond the fact that he's been beaten and left in a horrible position. The focus is instead on the, the three men who see him. Two who walk on by, who know the answer to the question. And, and the one who sees him and has compassion. And as this story is being told, the heart of those listening is convicted, you can imagine. Even as they're, they're hearing the story and the Samaritans introduced, they think, ah, 
He's not a neighbor. He's not my neighbor, the Samaritan. He's my enemy. He says, he's had compassion. Suddenly, their heart that it was against this man is revealed. You've not been loving your neighbor. You might have been doing something good. You might have been serving the poor. You might have been feeding the hungry, but then when a Samaritan comes along, your heart isn't to love him. It's not for compassion. And they're exposed by Jesus' story. In fact, as the, as the guy comes to answer the question, which of these proved to be a neighbor, he can't even bear to say the word Samaritan. He says, oh, it was the, the one who loved him, the one who showed him such mercy. Jesus is showing us a picture of love that we are to imitate. And the difficult thing as we read this passage is we realize that it is excessive love. It is abundant love. It is love that goes above and beyond the need of a man. And it's intimidating. Now you look at the story, you know, the Samaritan has compassion and he went to him. He bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine to soothe him and to, um, and to as an antiseptic to, to dress his wounds. And then he set him on his own animal. So he's given up his seat. He's given up his um, comfort. He's put him on his own animal. He's gone out of his way to take him to an inn. You know, the story could stop at any of these points, and this man is a hero. But Jesus is driving this home. He, this man is going above and beyond the call to love. He, he takes him to an inn. And he looks after him overnight. We know it's overnight because the next day he takes out two denarii. Now, a denarii is about a day's wage. So you imagine that. Day's wage. And if you look at how much it would have cost to stay in an inn um, at that time, it would have been something like a, a tiniest amount of a denarii. So this, these two denarii probably would have paid for him to stay there for months. So he's gone above and beyond. And then he says, here you go. If there's any, take care of him. And if there's anything else that you need to spend, um, I'll repay you when I come back. Now, that is just an invitation to be taken advantage of, isn't it? <laughs> to be taken for a ride. Spend what you want and I'll pay you when I get back. But the man, the Samaritan, having compassion, doesn't think of himself anymore. <laughs> He's self-giving. Self, uh, neglecting himself for the sake of this man. He's willing to be taken on a ride by this man. For ex to be extorted by the innkeeper for the sake of this man being loved. Do we do this? Do we know anybody who does? I mean, I think we can think of times when we've acted in love. And we can think of times when we've seen people do something amazing. There are some amazing stories, even in this room. I've, we've been so amazed to join Jubilee and Hull and to see the things that you do and carry as a church and that we've been able to come in and, and, and be part of and we love it. But this is, the command of Jesus isn't just 
every now and again. This is everybody all the time. Do you love everybody all the time in this way? And I think, as I've been reading this, I've realized I don't. (laughs) I don't think any of us could hold up our hands and say, we do. But we fall short. And yet, Jesus is saying, this is the kind of love, this loving of your neighbor that comes from loving God, this is the kind of love that is needed to inherit eternal life. Now that's quite a, quite a thing to take. He's saying if you don't bear the fruit of love, you will not inherit eternal life. In Romans, Paul comes to the point speaking as somebody who sees the standard that God sets for us. He says, "Ah, I can't make that. I can't love like Jesus is asking me to love. I can't produce that in myself. I can't go above and beyond. I can't do that for everybody all the time. And he says, who will save me from my insufficiency? Who will, who will save me from my inability to love in the way that I need to love if I'm going to be counted in that number for eternity? Because it's needed. Friends, it's needed. You need to love your neighbor as yourself in order to inherit eternal life. This abundant, self-giving way. So where do we go from here? How, how, how do we get from this place of just the story showing us how much we lack in terms of love to being able to fulfill that command? Love the Lord your God with everything. Phil was saying to us last week, Treasure, you've got to be willing to drop everything to be able to take hold of it. And I need to love my neighbor as myself. How do we do that? John, in his, in his letter to the churches, 1 John, he makes a big deal of this. He says, we know we have passed out of death and into life, into that eternal life, because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides, remains in death. But then he goes on to say, but this is how we know what love is. Christ Lay down his life for us. And we are also to lay down our lives for one another. He says, whoever loves has been born of God. And whoever doesn't, hasn't. If I tell you I'm from Australia, none of you will believe me. And I'll tell you why. You'd be right to not believe me. 
because I don't have an Australian accent. <laughs> I don't look Australian. I don't sound Australian. John says, if somebody's not loving, they're not from God. They've not received love. Because when you do, you love. You can't receive this love. This is how we know what love is. Having received the love of God, we are then able to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. Whoever confesses, it's John again, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, lives in him, and he lives in God. So we've come to know and believe that the love that God has for us, so we, we now, having received and believed in the love of God that is directed towards us, that good Samaritan love, that saw us dead on the side of the road and stripped himself and paid for us and met our needs in an abundant way, that love that we've received, we now live in. Because we've received that, because we believe in it, we see love perfected in us. so that we may have confidence on that day of judgment. So, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I love my neighbor as myself? Well, it's quite simple. <laughs> if, you, if you love God, you will love your neighbor. If God has loved you, and you've seen that love, you will love your neighbor. So I am loved by God, and I love God. And I see that God also loves this guy over here. What's my response to that? It's to love this guy. In the same way that I've been loved, I then love this guy beat him as he is on the road. Jesus says, this is how the world will know that you are my disciples. People will recognize you because of the love that you have for one another. The love that you have for your neighbor. That's how you'll be recognized. And Paul, when he's writing to many of the churches, he introduces his letter saying, I give thanks to God because of the faith that I've seen outworked in you, your belief in God and in his love for you, and the love that you have for all the saints, for your brothers, for your neighbor. Those two things, he says, those two things are evidence of who you are and where you're going. You know how I know you're a Christian? Because you love God. You believe in him because you love your neighbor. It ends, and I want to finish on this. Jesus says, 
you go and do likewise. Jesus goes to the cross, stripped and beaten, takes the punishment that was rightfully ours, and says to his disciples, love each other the same way I've loved you. He says to this man, you go, you do the same. And that is a challenge and a half. I tell you, as we press into God, we're going to break bread together. As we press into God, we see his love that he has for us. As we see it, we become more and more like him. Empowered more and more to love one another in amazing ways. Friends, that's my prayer for us as a church. I wonder if we could have the, the band back up. That's my prayer for us as a church is that we... I, I, I love the word that came, you know, we are on a mission. <laughs> and, and that mission isn't, isn't a duty-bound one. It is one that, has, that comes from a place of, I have been loved I've been loved. John, when he's writing about the story of Jesus' life, he keeps referring to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved, and that's his takeaway. I spent time with Jesus, and you know what I learned? He loves me. (laughs) He loves me. Oh, he loves me. Then what does John go on to write? Little children, let us love one another as Christ has loved us. I was the man beaten up on the side of the road. An enemy of God. He met me where I was. If I understand that as true, my response is going to be to do exactly the same. We're going to have, we're going to break bread, we're going to go into a bit of time of worship. Um, If you want to, if there, if there are a few people who've been asked to help with the, um, with the breaking of bread and handing that out, if you could come forward. I'm just going to pray. We're going to worship and we're going to remember what Jesus has done for us as we think about how we respond to that in love. Yeah. Yeah, Lord, I, I just thank you. I thank you, Father, that you've shown us what love is. says we were hostile to God but you so loved the world that you came and you gave yourself for us here's my blood here's my body broken poured out for you Father we want to be good at recognising love when we see it love that you have for us we, got, we, want, we want to receive it again we don't want to turn this into just something we do, we want to remember you and what you've done for us God even as we do that I pray would you stir in us that same love 
that sets us out from the world. That incredible standard of love that we can't hit apart from your love. God, I pray, would you pour out, draw near to us now. Challenge us, convict us, change us. Give us a new heart of flesh that can love the way that you've loved me. Sees people in need and doesn't ask the question, are they, are they worthy of my love? What are they going to do if I step out and love them? Who just does it anyway. Oh, Lord, we need your spirit for this. Amen. If you uh, have got children, can you uh, go and collect them now, please?